Welcome to Millennium Momentum in Municipality Podcast, and I'm your host, Councilwoman Y.T. Bell. Welcome to another episode of Millennium Momentum in Municipality, and today's guest is Councilmember Kirkland Carton from the city of Duluth. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on the show, Kirkland. I really appreciate it. Um, so... I'm just gonna ask you a few questions. You just answer them to the best of your ability and you can elaborate as much as you want to, honestly. Um, but I know people are very, very curious. Like how did Kirkland get where Kirkland is at? Um, being one of few um, men of color in, in Duluth, Georgia, and that's serving on the city council. So would you like to elaborate on like what caused you like professionally to want to get into politics? Um, and then how did you get where you are? Okay, so before I can get to where I'm at, do need I want to lay a little bit of foundation of you know where I came from. So I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio. Born in Cincinnati, raised in Dayton, Ohio. I am a Buckeye. I lived in Georgia for 16 years this December. So I spent those 16 years in Gwinnett County in Duluth, Georgia. Proud Duluth High School graduate. Went to the Art Institute of Atlanta after completing high school. Then I got my I got my associate's degree. Then I got my bachelor's degree in political science from Georgia State University. Um, from there, started working in my profession. My professional background was in city planning. Did that first job out of college. Worked for an engineering firm named Jacobs. Uh, did some work in the metro Atlanta area. Now I work for the Georgia Department of Transportation and Environmental Services. My first job at the state DOT, I was a transportation planner good information, I did some MPO planning, uh, great experience. A lot of the, my professional experience, my academic experience translate really well into this position. You know, though I worked in state government, government, I worked in state government, you know, it's not the exact same, but it helps to be able to speak that language, right? And before being elected, I served as a board member for different boards and authorities. Uh, at age 22, I was appointed to, or 23, I'm sorry, I was appointed to the Urban Redevelopment Authority. Age 24, I was appointed to the Zoning Board of Appeals. Uh, later after that, I did the uh, Citizens Budget Advisory Commission in 2016, made policy and budget re- recommendations to the Duluth City Council at that time. Uh, did the leadership program for the city of Duluth, I think it was called Duluth Leads, did that, can't remember what year, I think it was 23. Uh, that was when I was in college. It was a good opportunity to learn about the city. It's a two-month program. So I say all that to say I've been involved since my early 20s. I think since 22, I started going to my first council meetings in Duluth. What got me involved um, in politics is through my grandmother and my family members. Uh, my mother, she worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs for 36 years, BA, as uh, many people know, working with veterans. Uh, she had a number of responsibilities in that role in healthcare administration, but her main responsibility was try to reduce the homeless population in the metro Atlanta area. Um, my grandmother, she was a politician in Dayton, Ohio, or outside of Dayton in the, in the country, the township area, in Jefferson Township. She was involved in county government and in the Democratic Party. So growing up with people like my grandmother, civil servants like my mom, I had an uncle that worked for the DOD, um, it was just something that was very familiar to me, being a bureaucrat. As you can imagine, our, our uh, holiday discussions and family discussions <laughs> growing up were very interesting. 
and I didn't catch it till one day one of my good friends I grew up with he came over to my house for dinner and he was eating with me and my family and I think I was maybe 19 at the time and we were having a discussion about I want to say I think around that time President Obama was running for president no way and we were having a discussion about the presidential election but it was on a level I don't think my friends were comfortable or, or expecting so they're expecting us, you know, you're going to vote for Obama and McCain, but we just went in and they were just really surprised, especially one of my friends I grew up with. And he was just like, wow, we don't, I don't do that. Like me and my family, we don't, we don't have that kind of discussion, but that's what I grew up around. That's what I grew up in. So what made me want to run for Duluth City Council? Um, so the city of Duluth changed a good bit. When I moved to Duluth, our population was 24,000 plus, maybe 22. Now we're around 30,000, maybe a little more than that. City is 10 square miles now. We did some annexations back then before I'm, when I first moved here. And the city's gotten a lot younger. The medium age of Duluth is now 37. It's very diverse. One of the most diverse cities in one of the most diverse counties in the United States. The most diverse county in the Southeast. So the council, the leadership of the council was trying to do different things. They were trying to retain that next generation of young people, the young people that grow up in Duluth, we give them their morals, their values, give them good public education. But the trend was they would leave Duluth and not ever come back. So the council before me, uh, they did certain things to try to hold on to that next generation of young people. Built up a good downtown, um, built up a new city hall. The goal was trying to make Duluth a desirable destination city. And when I looked at that, I thought to myself, that's something I would like to help with. And then when I looked at the makeup of the council, you know, they were older. There were no millennials. There were no Generation X on the council. So I felt me as a young person, I had something to offer. So in 2013, I ran for city council, first time out to get age 25, and I missed the runoff by nine votes I lost. So I came again four years later, completed college, started my professional career. And I won outright in the same seat in a three-way race. I beat a 20-year incumbent with 55, more than 55% of the vote. So that's my story, what got me on council, what motivated me, my professional background, and brought me here today. Thank you, Kirkland, to share that. You shared a lot, and I think it was a lot of good information. And I just want to make sure that the viewers understand like how much the appointment of those boards were so helpful as a way to knowledge, as it relates to building relationships prior to you even getting on the council. Um, but also just to think clearly about like what it felt like to be, you know, through all these um, professional development groups, as well as these, you have this knowledge of being appointed on these boards, but still having no representation and trying to be that first person um, that then runs that is a younger age and more close to the demographic of the city. So can you kind of tell the viewers like how was that process? And then how much of an impact did those appointments and those boards help you get to where you are? The process, I don't know if people will be surprised what I'm about to say, but the process was kind of intimidating. You know, imagine being age 22, 23, given this opportunity to serve, right? Being on the Zoning Board of Appeals. I thought that was a big deal. Actually, let me rewind back. So I was on the Urban Redevelopment Authority, and I was really excited come to find out that board doesn't do much. Like, I think we met three times. So then I was kind of discouraging, it was disappointing. So then I got on the Zoning Board of Appeals where we met more often and I felt intimidated because I'm sitting there in the council chamber at a dais 
people to my left and my right, they're old enough to be my parents. But once I got over that and I just learned and I met a lot of people, I learned how government works. It was a wonderful experience. And definitely when it was time to run for office, I was able to tell people what I've done for them, what my past history in the city of Duluth. So it's something I encourage a lot of people, if you're interested in municipal government, put in an application for a board appointment, get your foot in the water, see if it's something for you that style of work. And then from there, if you take to it, you know, consider running for a higher office. I think that's great advice. And I don't think that that advice is given often or not. People just say, hey, run for something or just run. And they forget, like, you need to be somebody that's educated. So when you run, you can actually get things passed and you can actually do a lot of great mm-hmm. things. So thank you for that advice. I'm encouraging um, the viewers to definitely take the time out and just fill out an application and be a part of boards that are already established um, that help with economic development. So all the things that people, you know, have sometimes not the most or best positive perspective on Forest City and just figure out how it works um, in government. Um, so my next question is centered around the structure of Duluth. And when I say structure, I mean the structure of the government. What's the structure form or the type of government that exists in um, the city of Duluth? Because you did say that, you know, it's grown, it's changed. I've done some annexation. So has the formal government um, changed also in Duluth? Um, the government, uh, yes and no. So back in the, so in Duluth, we have four-year terms, right? If you're elected, you serve one four-year term. From my understanding, back in the day, in the late 90s, it used to be two-year terms, right? So people would have to run for office every two years, similar to how it is in Congress. I don't think, other than that, I don't think the structure of government has changed much. Um, we're a weak mayor, strong council form of government. We're a city manager form of government. So that means our council members, we're part of a legislative body and we also make executive decisions. Our mayor is the lead head executive of the city. She works with the city manager to execute the vision, right? So we get together as a board, as elected officials, we we try to set a tone or a vision for our city. And then we hire city staff, um, with, including our city manager, to execute that vision and make it a reality. Uh, the mayor's position is there to be the person that executes or, or quarterbacks it. Also, unofficially, the mayor's position is there to be the cheerleader of the city, right? So for the ribbon cuttings, to go to the Chamber of Commerce, to work with business to try to recruit jobs. Um, if anything goes on, the mayor is the face, the chief salesperson of the city. So you brought an interesting perspective. You said that the mayor is the face. So essentially, mm-hmm. they're the figurehead that everybody knows and everybody thinks does all the work. But with a city manager form of government, is he, which I know, but I want the viewers to know, do they do all the work or do they just show up to the events and they're the person that's called because their face is everywhere? Well, I'll say this. I think a lot of people, when I've found, they think the mayor does a lot of the job or the responsibilities that go to the city manager. So to be clear, the, the mayor in most cities in Georgia is a part-time position. Cities that I think that have a full-time mayor in Georgia would be Columbus and Atlanta. So those mayors are more hands-on. They're, it, it, they're really the head uh, executive of their city. Um, in Duluth, it seems like Clarkston, are, the mayor is there part-time. 
Uh, I'm not gonna take away from the roles and responsibilities of the mayor's position, but usually the mayor's there most times to sign documents. They do constituent service, so they do engage, but it is what they put into the position. Our mayor is in the office every Tuesday and every Thursday, but I know some mayors in other metro Atlanta cities that are not. So uh, uh, I think that's a good point you bring up. I think a lot of people think the mayor does more than they actually do or they're tasked to do. Uh, but at the same time, I think they can do more than just cut ribbons. Like I said, it's, it's what they want to make the job. Yep, I agree. It's time and so, to get them to the job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the time and peace is so imperative in this role of serving, uh, especially when you are a part-time role, getting paid less than part-time most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. So... Not to take from mayors, they do a ton of work as it relates to building relationships and bridge building, but the day-to-day -day activities are actually completed by the city manager. So when people see, Correct. yeah, when people see like departments and like who supervises them, well, in our cities, in Duluth and um, Clarkston, the city manager does that. Uh, and I just want to make that clear because I don't think a lot of people know. Like, um, there are some cities in Georgia where it's a strong mayor, and the mayor, <laughs> he runs the police department, he supersedes the chiefs of the fire department, planning and zoning, but that's just not the case in most metro uh, politics cities. Right, right. Okay, so tell me this. So I know Kirkland personally, so I know, I probably already know this answer, but so tell me your leadership style. And what do you feel like your role is with your colleagues on council? Like, are you the bridge builder? Uh, are you the policy wonk? Are you the public representative that's always, you know, taking a seat at the news and always responding back? Or are you the truth teller? Are you the person outside just fighting the good fight for everybody? I try to feel like I, I'm a little bit of all the above, right? I try to fight the good fight by still trying to govern with consensus. I'll say this. So my governing style in this position, um, I truly do feel this is a part-time position. And like I said before, the council is there to set a vision. It's, to me, it's no different than a board of trustees um, that you would see in the private sector. And then in the private sector, you would hire a, a, a CEO to execute that vision. That person, to me, is the mayor. So I believe my, my leadership style is to come in, set the vision, set the tone, and be that bridge, that liaison between the 30,000 residents of the city and the people at City Hall. Uh, and, you know, we hire our staff to execute that vision, to work with the, uh, the city manager to make that vision a reality. And I'm pretty blunt. If you can't execute that vision if you can't make it a reality then i'll find somebody else that will uh, but i will say this i work with the excellent staff i think our staff in duluth is top-notch world-class staff we would not be able to do the job that we do we'd not be able to provide the level of service that we provide to our residents um, if we're not for our staff keep in mind like i said this is a part-time position so most days i'm at work i'm you know, meeting with constituents, I'm meeting with uh, people who have zoning cases before the um, city council, but 
if you were to call during business hours, it's the staff that gets you the answers you need. It's our law enforcement on the streets, on the pavement, that's resolving the issues, it's keeping communities safe. We wouldn't be able to be successful if we did not have a good staff. And that's key. I, I don't think people understand how imperative and important the city staff are for us to do our job. Um, because yeah. truth be told, they give us summaries, they read a lot of the, the 70 to 100 page documents and give us summaries of it, but we're able to look at it too. But they're a point, they're a checkpoint, and they hold us accountable and, a bit, and create benchmarks for us to make sure that we're doing the best job for all constituents and it gives us a different perspective too, which I appreciate. Okay, so you you kind of segue to something I was going to ask you. You said right. during the day you'll catch the city staff because I'm at work. Uh, so let's talk about that. Like most people think that once you get elected, you're at work here all the time as a council person. But me and Kirkland, as millennials, are a little bit different, right? We both go to work, and then we serve in the afternoons on the weekends when we're not at work and when we're when we're not in council meetings or committee meetings. So can you kind of talk about that? And then how do you find that balance to also make sure that you're taking care of Kirkland? Mm. So, um, you know, so my first year I got elected, I think like most young people, it was like sucking water from a fire hose. And there's so much you're learning and there's so much excitement and you kind of overdo it sometimes, right? You want to be at every event, you want to, uh, be at every HOA meeting, but at some point you have to realize this is a part-time job, uh, that you still have to have your full-time position, your full-time work to make a living. Uh, my position on city council pays me $6,000 a year before taxes. I think after taxes every month, I bring home four thirty-five. So obviously that's not, you know, I, I can't survive off that. I think that is a barrier for many young people to want to get involved in politics, want to get involved locally. Uh, a lot of people are interested in it. And then when I talk to kids or young people at schools or in colleges or these different groups, um, when they ask me how much I make and I tell them 6,000 a year, the look on their face is like, what? Uh, they, everyone expected when I first got elected that I would transition to this full time. I was like, you do not understand how this works. Mm-mm. Now some cities, in Georgia, uh, we'll pay more, right? So I think in South Fulton, they make 14,000 a year. I believe uh, Clarkson, you guys had a pay increase not too long ago. Um, the city of Atlanta, their council members make 60,000 a year. So one could live off that depending on your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but in most cases in Metro Atlanta counties and most cities in Georgia, uh, you're looking at a part-time salary, uh, which really creates a, with that in the workload, it really creates an environment where a lot of retirees or independently wealthy people or business owners or their own boss are able to do this kind of work. Then again, with business owners, a lot of them tell me, you know, I'm trying to make payroll. I don't know if I necessarily have the time to yeah. put into this council position, but it can be done. I don't want to discourage people. It just takes balance and commitment. I live and die by my calendar. If it's not on that, it, it can easily go by me. And I'll segue back on to what I said earlier in the interview, that it goes back to having a good staff. I think the best thing you can do as an elected official, as a mayor, as a council person, is make sure you vet and you hire good staff. 
because they will give you the support you need to do your job. I concur with all of that, right? That calendar, we live by it. So they say, hey, millennials are glued to your phone. Sometimes we're not just on social media. <laughs> but look at my iPhone. I need that thing. <laughs> that is true. I agree. That is definitely the lifeline. When it goes dead, I'm just like so distraught. Don't know what to do. Right. Do <laughs> <laughs> right. I have no clue what to do with my life and where I'm supposed to be and what I'm doing. Uh, so it's good to know that we're always trying to find a balance. And the phone honestly keeps me balanced. I put reminders to eat. I put reminders to make sure that I go to the gym. If not, yeah. I'll forget. So, good point, Kirkland. So, my next question is centered around um, what's your city known for? Like, what's your favorite shop or restaurant in Duluth? Because it's so big. You know, Duluth is known for so many different things. I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> seriously, we're having our fall festival tomorrow. It started Thursday. We have a carnival that starts Thursday and it goes on to Sunday. But we have the biggest fall festival in Gwinnett County. I'm not just saying that to, you know, hype the city up, but the crowds are huge. We have over 100,000 people a year. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have a parade. There will be thousands of people lined up on both sides. Uh, city council and elected officials will be out along with businesses, nonprofits. Um, it's, I think it's one of the things we're known for. Another thing we're known for, two things we're known for, our diversity. Like I said, we're a very diverse city in the most diverse county in the Southeast. Um, our numbers are astounding. I tell people, I remember I had a, um, um, a candidate forum with Nabar when I was running for city council in 2017. And they said, or they asked me, what would you say to a realtor if you were trying to sell your city to uh, somebody who's considering moving to Duluth? One of the first things out of my mouth was simple. I was like, if you move here and you raise a family here, your children will have the benefit of growing up in a world-class, diverse community. And they will broaden their mindset. And the benefits that will have on that child or that person's development, you cannot measure. You know, growing up in Duluth made me the open-minded, well-rounded, multiculturalist that I am today. Um, another thing I would sell too, I'm going to go in a little different direction, is our public school system. Now, to be clear, as, as council members, we have no control over the public education. Those decisions are decided by the state and your local school board. But we are fortunate that we have a A1, um, highly respected public school system in Gwinnett County, and we have phenomenal uh, public high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools in our city limits or around our city limits. So that's one of the things we're definitely known for. Keeps our property value high too. Well, that's great. Yeah, everybody wants to go to a place that has good schools because they know that, like you mentioned, property value is going to be good. And honestly, you probably have a lot of um, economic viability in your city due to the type of people that are moving there um, and the type of restaurants and shops and things that um, families need, um, which is always a great thing. Right. Okay, so, but you, you told me about the festival and the carnival, this annual, but you still didn't tell me what is your favorite food and shop in Duluth. And I know, like, you love them all, right? In hindsight, you love all the shops that you have, but there has to be one that you like either hanging out, 
it's good to do work. It's good to meet people at um, in the city. So, I mean, it's a good recommendation for other millennials to hang out there too. That's true, but I feel like I have five children. You just told me to pick which one you want to save real quick. Uh, it just depends what, mo- what mood you're in for. So, I mean, what move you're in. So in Duluth, one thing we're known for is a lot of our ethnic businesses. You know, going back to that diversity, we have a lot of uh, Korean businesses. We have a lot of Korean barbecue. A lot of them are just right outside our city limits by Gwinnett Place Mall. Uh, Breakers, 678, Iron Age. A lot of people from across the metro area come here to eat and support businesses like that. A lot of my friends from ITP come OTP to go to places there. Um, but some of my favorite spots, uh, let me think about that. Buford Highway. Um, we got plenty of things, plenty of restaurants for you to pick from. Um, we have an amazing downtown. So recently we've been in the news over the past couple of years because we've been attracting these ITP style restaurants or these ITP restaurants are just coming out or branching off and coming to Duluth, Georgia. So we got old 4-4 pizza that came in about, I want to say a little more than two years ago. Oh, wow. We got a Korean steakhouse that was uh, got a lot of noise, has great reviews, called Nuna. That's a great spot, especially when out great date night spot. Uh, one of my funny ones, my favorite ones, is Nacho Daddy. Uh, that's one of the newer ones that opened up. Uh, what was that? I think that officially opened up earlier this year. Um, Pure Talkery is a favorite of mine. Uh, the old Knox House in downtown Duluth. That's if you want to go for your Southern contemporary food. It's A1. Um, I highly recommend it. I have a number of my fundraisers or meet and greets there. Um, so I definitely get my, my seal of approval. That's good to know. Because when I come to Duluth, I love Vietnamese food. And I often uh, partake in a lot uh, when I come to Duluth. And especially for me, I come to Duluth for um, some of the spas that you have out there um, because it's just far enough to where I feel like I'm outside the city limits, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, we got Jeju right by 85. And I think we permitted, or we approved the zoning for a new one to come in off uh, North Berkeley Lake. It's not open just yet, but it's supposed to be similar to Jeju. A spot that's supposed to appeal to a certain income demographic that's supposed to be very, uh, something very nice. Yeah, I love to do. I go there at least once a month, but sometimes I go every week. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, Duluth, for approving permitting <laughs> business like Jeju. Okay, in three words or less, how do you describe your city? What's your 30 second sales pitch for potential homeowners, developers, and business owners? And it has to be three words, or it can be in 30 seconds. Uh, so you can use three words or less, or you can use 30 seconds. I'll use 30 seconds. Okay. I will say Duluth is an international city with a southern charm. I like that. You've perfected that, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've had some experience. <laughs> you, you're right. <laughs> so what do you hope to accomplish in the future? Um to be innovative, to move the city, um, as well as um, the county, especially because you are a city in a very, uh, one of the most diverse counties um, that we have in the South, East, as you mentioned. Right. 
So one of the things I hope to still do in the city council, um, one of the things we created recently was the uh, creation of a complete count commission or a CCC. And that board is designed to educate our residents on the U.S. Census. Happens every 10 years. It's very important for cities and for city council people like ourselves to be mindful of it and encourage our residents to be a part of it. There's a lot of money that we get back from the federal government, back from the state government, is dependent on those numbers they get from the census. We do it every 10 years. So whatever number you get locked in, that's what you have for a decade. So if you have a population that's underrepresented, that means you have to still provide those people with services, but you have less amount of money than you normally would if everyone participated. I think it's a nonpartisan issue. Um, it's an issue that was brought to my attention after working with some people in the nonprofit community. I pitched the idea to council. Uh, we worked something out. It, it, this is, again, going back to that consensus building I mentioned earlier, right? You have an idea of what you want it to be. You work with four other people on the city staff, and you get something that um, I think was strong. I think it's the best product, but something we can all get behind. So I am running for county commission. I have to resign my seat in March of 2020. So that's going to be one of the things I want to try to get off the ground before I leave council. Make sure we have good people in place. All five council members appointed people to the CCC. So I just want to be there to be that liaison between the CCC and the uh, city council. And I think that is so valuable. I think, um, so just like Duluth and Clarkson, we develop our um, Clarkson Complete Count Committee. And it's important for census, and I don't think a lot of millennials understand that piece, is that it, um, it provides all the infrastructure funds um, that we get. It kind of lets us know, like, the influx of schools we may or may need in the near future. Um, but also, it tells us, as it relates to other cities around us in the metro, like, what is the cost of living? So it also puts us on the radar for economic development and for people that are looking for homes to come there because all that information is compiled. And that's dispersed out in many different ways. And so that's why it's definitely important for everybody to be counted, but also just to know who we're serving and are we serving them appropriately? Are we providing the services that all the individuals that actually live in our cities need? Um, so that is... Because they determine the political boundaries of these districts that you run in, whether it's a district for city council, whether it's a county commissioner or state house seat, they determine these population numbers off the census. So again, if we have inaccurate numbers, if we have a portion of our population that's underrepresented, we have we will have inaccurate uh, political boundaries for a decade. Yep. So this affects everything that we do. That is a great way to segue it all in, um, Kirkland, because it does. And representation is important, and that's how we start this conversation about Kirkland actually being appointed and running to be elected to actually look like the people that, that they were trying to serve for the majority. And so that's the same thing with the census, right? So it's all about representation, all about like you're not going to get the representation of the services that you need if the folks that are in those seats don't have the same values or they don't align with yours. Um, so just be mindful that as millennials, as people say, hey, the census people are coming by, I'm not going to open the door. It's key and very, very imperative that you educate yourself about the census and open the door or fill out the form online. Especially okay. in our communities yeah. because we have such a diverse community. 
And with the sentiment going on on the federal level, a lot of communities don't feel comfortable cooperating with the federal government, let alone participating in the census. So that puts an extra burden on communities like ours, opposed to communities that are more monolithic, more traditional um, 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 American descendant. I, I couldn't agree with you, couldn't agree with you more, Kirkland, about that. So everybody, make sure that you're counted, make sure that when your city develops these complete count committees that you're active, because you can actually be on a committee. Maybe that's the start of how you get appointed to another role, as well as you want to run for something, maybe that's the start of it. And you get to know what, how everything works, processes, and you get to meet people that will help you along the way. Now, Kirkland, you very, 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 very swiftly mentioned that you may be running for a uh, county commission. It was very fast, but the consensus builder, who has been in Duluth forever in the city limits, is now thinking about a county role? Would you like to talk more about yeah, that? It's not thinking. I'm already in it. Yeah, I announced March of this year that um, I wanted to run for Gwinnett County Commission District 1 um, in the 2020 election. So uh, came out in March, came out early. Um, with all the energy in the county, especially on the Democratic side, uh, you have to come out early in these things. The county's so big. You know, we have four district commission seats and a population of just under a million people. So if you do the math, we're talking about anywhere from 230 to 250,000 residents. Um, if you pull up vote builder, my team has it at, we're at 133,000 registered voters, uh, which, you know, everyone won't vote in, that, in this election. So we're looking at touching 40,000 voters. This is an expensive race. And if you're going to run a race that's nuanced, that's personable, where you're talking to people in Canvas, and you do have to get out there and start early. Um, this is going to be a good year. It's going to be a big year in Gwinnett. We elected our first Democrats in this county, first time in 36 years. Elected our first people of color. Elected an African-American woman and a uh, LBGTQ Asian man. So uh, I think us Democrats, in full disclosure, I am a true blue Democrat, have been all my adult life. I think us Democrats are going to come in and put in a good governing majority next year. So, like I said, it's a five-member board, and we, the magic number is three. A governing majority is three. So whether it be this seat, the third, or the chairman's position, we're going to get that magic number. And I think if we have a good effort, um, all our candidates work with one another, I think we'll clean house next year and we'll have a Democratic majority. Five, all five seats. So that's exactly what I like to hear. As being a millennial, um, paving the way, um, creating that majority that you need in Gwinnett to look like the people that you serve, so improving the representation of the county. And I just want to say good luck. Um, I personally believe in you, and I know that you're going to do great things as the next county commissioner. Uh, and I think I saw something online from you too as well that you um, have also planning to move up. I am. I am planning to move up, and I just announced on Tuesday that I'll be running mm -hmm. for Georgia State Senate District 41. So I'm super excited to expand my reach uh, and the, the number of individuals that I'll be potentially serving in Senate District 41 to all of the cities, in addition to the city that I currently serve on as city council. So new things right. on the horizon for these millennials that are building uh, new ways and breaking down doors and shattering ceilings and 
actually creating um, better representation for all people. So thank you, Kirkland. Um, I'm excited about that one, especially <laughs> the city people. You know, every year the legislature they come with bills, and I'm open about it. They come with bills that are harmful to how cities operate, and the fact that we have a young millennial who wants to, who has municipal experience, who has a MPA, right, who has the education and work experience for the position, is going to run for state senate and then advance issues that are important to cities. That's something I can get behind. That's something I think uh, when your campaign heats up, a lot of millennials, a lot of young people across the metro area are going to be excited to help you. They want to see you succeed. Thank you, Kirkland. I appreciate that. Home rule is very important. And I know that being a local elected, and so that's the same message I'm going to take when I get to uh, the state senate. So thank you, Kirkland, for being a part of episode number two of Millennial Momentum in Municipality. I really appreciate you taking out your time um, to be on the episode and giving all the good advice and knowledge on what it takes to be a consensus builder, also to where you are now to running for commissioner. So thank you, Kirkland. Thank you. And that's our episode of Millennial Momentum and Municipality. I'm your host, Councilwoman Bell, and I hope that you're having a great weekend. Thanks.